Welcome back to the Gods to Ghost Volleyball Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bemke, and this is part seven of our interview with Butch May. Let's cut right to the chase and get after it with Butch. All right, Butch, we covered Gene Selznick during uh, the last interview. Today, let's get to uh, the five-time Manhattan Beach Open champions from 60 to 64, Mike O'Hara and Mike Bright. Let's start out with uh, Jumpin' Jack O'Hara. Things that he did well on the court, funny stories, whatever uh, comes to mind, 4F. Well, I don't know of any fun stories. <laughs> uh, I'll just tell you how we got crossed paths. I, I first saw O'Hara in Alameda, Naval Air Station. He was playing for Hollywood. And he came up there, and he had these long arms, and he had a jump. And he has the swing that nobody uses, the roundhouse. And he was putting balls down and doing a lot of things Everybody's oohing and on. I was like, God, what a great player. And people were saying, yeah, that's uh, Mike O'Hara. And, uh, of course, I'm bad on names anyway. And, uh, you know, I watched him play, et cetera. And, you know, when these guys warm up, uh, a good way to really kiss somebody's ass is chase the ball that they hit. Now, this uh, the gym that they played in had enough room for six or eight courts. And it was long. It was, uh, they could use it as a plane hanger. Where was it? Uh, Alameda, Naval Air Station. Okay. And uh, they could use it for staging area. So they were basketball courts. So if somebody hit the ball, you'd run down and get it to them. And, you know, kind of give you a thumbs up and thank you. I was going, God, uh, I I, I just got a ball from Mike (laughs) O'Hara. I look back and go like this. What a kiss-ass thing to do. You know, let him chase his own ball. You know, I, I mean, my attitude changed. Um, you know, I, I was later to uh, move down to uh, Santa Monica. And moving down there, Ernie was uh, practicing with a team at YMCA. I go, YMCA and Mike O'Hara. Now, I didn't know anybody else from uh, from there, uh, except uh, somebody I mentioned, a guy called Olson. Oh, my God. He was a good hitter. He put his arm behind his neck and the, the nape and it just hit the hell out of the ball and it, you know so we went down to the YMCA to play now you can imagine I'm playing at the old Embarcadero YMCA which is an old building on the waterfront in San Francisco so I'm thinking I'm going to Hollywood because there's going to be something that I've never seen before sure the gym and the facility was older than the was as old as the Embarcadero. They had a, a beam that was just 18 feet above the center of the court. Now, in order to have a legal tournament, you had to have a 20 foot ceiling. But somehow, a Hollywood practice there. The, the quarters, the 
it just fit inside a basketball uh, court. And I went, is this it? <laughs> right. So, so you couldn't dig the ball high one-on dig, and you couldn't set it high. It had to be at a certain height, at, at 20 feet, and it, uh, it was okay. But in comes the king that really made O'Hara better. There's a guy called Rolf Engen, one of the best setters I've ever seen in my life. And Rolf should have been on the 64 Olympic team. Yeah, I've heard that uh, from uh, Lang and Von Hagen. That was a travesty along with Gene being let off. Yeah. And, and there's a, a upstart. His name was uh, Bob Pride. He's a little guy, crew cut. Snide remarks, uh, great grin. Uh, he's a good setter. And also there's an older fellow. I call him older because he might have been a little bit older than Rolf, but it was uh, Walt Schiller. And Schiller was there, and they were having new talent try out. Uh, Frank Kingery, a left-handed player, uh, who was good, uh, was trying out. They had uh, a player from El Camino, uh, McCullough, uh, Larry McCullough. And they had uh, Chase Olsen shows up. Bright was, Bright was still with Selznick at that time. You know, he, he wasn't convinced that playing for Hollywood YMCA was the thing to do. But O'Hara came in and, uh, you know, everybody who didn't know him. But um, Walt, uh, Walt Schiller, uh, Rolf Engen would ask you one question. How do you like your sets? And if you said, I like uh, about three speed, if you're going to uh, just put it outside, or I want a two height, you got it, whether his back was turned to the net or not. He was uh, uh, not a good athlete. He was a great athlete. Uh, very nimble, short, but he could do everything. But what he had that was endearing was he, uh, he was a good leader on the court. If Mike made a mistake, hit the ball out, got blocked or whatever, um, Rolf would say, my fault, Mike, I'll get you out a little bit more. Of course, Mike would not as him. And then, uh, it, you know, when you start playing with these players, you find out that the skills that you had at Santa Monica College wasn't overwhelming. It was as good as anything that Hollywood had, Hollywood YMCA, or some of the players had. But what, what you also found out is that there were certain players that other players played for. Or was the, uh, if they had any defects in their game, Mike wasn't a good passer. And in those days, we were still passing overhand. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a good float serve. Um, he could hit the outside. Um, never hit the middle because he only hit the, the pins, uh, left side or right side. And uh, But every uh, a lot of people covered for him. And I said, wow, okay, he's got the, you know, you, you realize that your skills um, are every bit as good as theirs. But Ernie was, uh, was a hitter. He hit a ball hard enough that um, if they took slow, mo- slow motion pictures, it would wrap around his hand. That's how hard he hit. So it looked like he had a folded pizza around his hand, a raw pizza, not a, not a cooked, or a cooked pizza around his arm and hand. That's how hard he hit. Larry McCullough was a hard hitter. But there was something enduring about um, uh, um, Mike O'Hara. You know, he never quit. Uh, I want the ball, and uh, you know, rightfully so. Our scrimmages were good enough that uh, at times, if uh, the younger players were controlling the scrimmage part, 
Perry would call the uh, uh, the plane off because he didn't. Um, he wanted to make sure that the players that he was going to boost to go to the Olympics um, were always under his care. And uh, you know, some days we hit the ball harder to help. We could chase things, but O'Hara would hide service receiver. When I say hide, <laughs> he would hide. <laughs> and you know, in those days, you got to bring five other people up to the net. Raise your arms, raise your hands, and wiggle them, etc. And you serve down that line. So people that had serves, whether it was the topsman serve, mostly float serves, uh, could serve right to that man. That's what makes Spike Force so good. Spike Force got to sit in and help people. That's how good he was with uh, with his serving. Defense. Even though, <laughs> even though he played for Stockton YMCA when he was at the San Jose State. Uh, he helped bolster uh, Stockton YMCA's team. But Spike could serve the eyes out of the ball. That's what and I've heard. Back, left corner, right corner, short. He could put the ball right there. Did he talk uh, smack, too, or no? Oh, he, he was cocky. You know, oh, that's wrestler, what I love about that guy. He always talked about his uh, wrestling. I was all state almost. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all coast almost. No, he called me all coast almost. But, uh, you know, very cocky. And, uh, it, it was one of those things that uh, uh, the good players on uh, Stockton YMC would let Spike pass that third of the court, and he could do it. And um, so the good players uh, at Hollywood would fill in for Mike. So, you know, you get to talking, and they said, oh, where do you play at? Well, Mike had just gotten into tennis at that time. Okay. So he played he played volleyball indoors, and he probably played down the Jonathan Club. That's where he belonged. I think that's where he belonged. And, uh, but he started getting into, into tennis, uh, in a regular court tennis and paddle tennis. And at that time, I, I was playing with a, an older woman. <laughs> she was about 44 years old. Uh, 45 years old and her name was Connie Keller and her husband uh, uh, I, he called himself the Fox and uh, he was too poor to go to a lot of nationals but the players respected him uh, players like Manny Sines Bernie Holtzman would never talk smack about uh, F. Keller why he said he was good he just couldn't afford to go to the nationals you know anyway uh, I played with uh, Connie and um I started to get a reputation of uh, holding up my end against some good players, not great players, but good players with Connie. So uh, I, I go back up to San Francisco and I get a call from O'Hara saying, uh, hey, uh, you want to play a tournament with me? I go, what? Uh, I'm playing with Mike O'Hara and I'm telling everybody, good God, I'm playing with Mike O'Hara. Now <laughs> nobody in Northern California knew who he was. <laughs> they said, uh, yeah, who's that? I said, remember the tall guy that had a crew cut and he had a roundhouse. And they go, uh, well, there were four tall guys on the team and two short guys. That ended it right there. So I fly down from San Francisco to meet, to meet Mike. And he's picking me up at the airport. I, I forgot where I stayed that night. I, I stayed on somebody's couch, maybe it was O'Hara's couch. And, uh, oh, he said, kiss the red, kiss the red eye. <laughs> of course. Because it was a cheaper flight. 
cheaper flight and I paid for it. And, uh, and he goes, we're playing in uh, Corona Del Mar. So that was my first open tournament. In those days, they didn't have triple A. They had double A and single A, that's it. No Bs, no whatever. They just had single A and double. And no two, two killer Bs. No two killer Bs. So I'm coming down there and I go like this, wow, Mike, thanks for picking me up. He goes, well, we got good news and bad news. I said, what's the good news? We're in the tournament. I go, oh, yeah, that's great. What's the bad news? He goes, I tore my tech muscle. I I, I can't raise my right arm and I go I flew all the way down uh, down here I uh, missed some overtime work up at Northern California to play with a guy that's injured and he goes you play next so you I'm going to play under the net I'll just set you I'll dig hit the second ball over (laughs) I said to myself what have I got myself into (laughs) Nothing new. That's uh, that's the stuff that I uh, I always got myself into. Yeah, right. Par for the course, right? Well, it's not only par. Ask one more question. How are you feeling, right? If he said, uh, uh, crappy, I tore my pet muscle out of the state. Anyway, put a Corona Del Mar, and there's uh, a couple of guys I recognize. I didn't know their nicknames, but it was uh, Dennis Dugan John Taylor. The Condor, all the guys that yep. grew up at the uh, the beach club there that uh, beat Lang and Selznick when they were 18 or 19 in the first round. That was an epic yep. story. And they're both in college. John's just about ready to graduate. Uh, both at SC and proud of it. <laughs> yeah, aren't they all? University of so, Spoiled uh, Children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Stepping on it no, let's see. Al Skates was playing. He was playing with... Uh, Mendoza? Uh, 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 huh? Maybe Mendoza? Mendoza. He was playing with Mendoza. Because uh, they knocked us out uh, of fourth place. Uh, we got... Uh, I mean, they knocked us out of third place. We lost in a, in a, a deuce game. And, uh, you know, Skates says uh, O'Hara's not hitting. Serve O'Hara. So O'Hara would put the ball up or... I, I did. I, I, the famous words was, "Don't take it unless it hits you on top of the head." Right? <laughs> so, so we played. But there was a, a there was a, a team that was put there, and it was Ron Von Hagen. Oh Jesus! Maybe uh, at that time, Randy Carter. Nope, uh, not Randy Carter. No, who's the? His son was a golfer. He played golf. A little guy wanted to fight with Jack Jensen all the time. Oh, that was Davy Borwell. Dave Bordwell. So Dave Bordwell and uh, Monaghan. Now, during a match, uh, we just got knocked in the loser's bracket. So we have to wait. And they're playing Huggins and Duggins. And John Taylor and Dennis Dugan, even though they got out from under their umbrella, I know, no umbrella, just off their seats and walked on the court, their first swing was as hard as you could swing. So boom, I went like this. These guys didn't even warm up their arms. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm looking at a whole different culture here. And, uh, and if you know anything about uh, Corona Del Mar, it's a jumper's beach. Right. And they're jumping up and they're just pounding the heck out of the ball. And uh, so their match starts right in the middle of the game. Uh, Bonhagen tells David, 
Watch it. He's hitting straight uh, down the line. Davies sticks out his right, uh, his left arm, and the ball caroms off his arm, and it goes probably 30 or 40 feet past the end line. I mean, it was a giant arc, but it went back there. And Boardwell turns around, and he half-heartedly said, Ronnie, go get it. Turn around. Ronnie got the ball, ran it down, put the ball back. In the meantime, Huggins and Duggins were slapping hands saying, wow, what a great hit, you know, just coming back. And the audience followed and tracked the ball. You get it, ah, ooh, as the ball was coming back. Uh, and Bordwell hit the ball over and in, and they both had their backs to that play. They thought it was done and over with. They didn't realize Von Hagen had this type of sand speed that he had. Unbelievable. Yeah, I've seen uh, video of the ball. Impossible. The ball was way off the court. They said, yeah. Everybody uh, that was watching said, yep. He ran it down and Dave Bordwell put it over. Did he set it with his hands? Bernie Holtzman told him, taught him to run the balls down with his hands. No, this ball was going opposite. Uh, it was in front of him. So you can't set it. He just went back and put up with one arm. Put it Jeez, back with one arm. unreal. And uh, and they ended up putting it over. No, uh, no, he bumped it over at that time. The bump was in play. This time. this is nineteen sixty-five, maybe. You know, so uh, whatever year it was that Bordwell and Von Hagen won, Colonel uh, Delmar, that was the year. Yep. And it, it was one of the best plays that I've ever seen. And I said to myself, um, I just watched somebody never quit on the ball. The ball came back. People that uh, were their opposition never expected to come back. And out of disrespect, turned their backs to it, high five each other only to have it right now. <laughs> and the legend of Von Hagen grows. Oh, no. The, the well deserved. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I said to myself, it's the greatest play. Well, you know, we had a play. Through the losers bracket, uh, our first round was for uh, uh, seventh. In those days, they only had thirty-two teams, only thirty-two. So we we're already in the losers bracket. Waited five in the afternoon, and we came back and uh, we ended up losing to Mendoza and uh, Al Skates, and they got third, I think. You know, but it was one of those things that uh, I never forgot it, but I never forgot that. Mike wasn't honest with me. He could have said stay home. But how he tore his back muscle, he was sneaking into a neighbor's yard. He shouldn't have been into a tennis court. And he went to swing over and he caught himself and, and tore his back muscle. <laughs> so he could play tennis. I wonder if his son Ryan O'Hare knows the story. And if not, I'm sure he's going to get a big kick out of listening to this. <laughs> Ryan probably <laughs> doesn't know it. If uh, actually, I think uh, uh, Arlene and, and Mike had just uh, recently got married, so Ryan wouldn't hear the story unless his dad related it. Or <laughs> unless his dad goes, there's a lot of good son, but there is a little bit of bad. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, uh, after that, I, I already knew where Mike stood, you know, um, and Mike was a nice guy for a lot of people, but... Uh, you know, you have to be aware of, uh, <laughs> of those bearing gifts, right? Yes. Okay, so uh, Mike also ended up with a reputation that 
probably upset a few volleyball players. A yeah. lot of them. You know, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, he, he was a good player. Uh, I, I, he was, his powder had already been spent by the time he, I played with him. You understand? Yeah, he wasn't uh, what he was when he was no. in his prime. Well, he wasn't what he told me he was. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that all all of us guys? <laughs> well, yeah. well it, it, you know, you can't continue for the next tournament and say more will be revealed. No, you, <laughs> let people uh, straight up front that you're uh, you're a hack now, or that you can't do it. But uh, you know, all, always trying. There was always effort there. You know, so he kind of stayed with paddle tennis, but uh, uh, immediately drew himself into uh, more tennis. And he was also one of the founders of uh, international uh, track and field. Anyway, getting to, uh, I'll kind of segue into Bright. Yeah, Mike Bright. Um, he didn't look like he was built really well, but uh, Dave Boardwell told me he was one of the strongest guys he's ever been around. Um, yeah, you know, there, there's some tragic things that happened to Mike, and I'll kind of segue and hope that I can cover a couple of things. And I hope I'm accurate. We have, uh, Wright was, uh, had these beady eyes. He was a good athlete in, in Hermosa Beach. And um, I think his dad was alcoholic. You know, Mike had mentioned something about it. I didn't understand. Um, I became, you know, I, I was an alcoholic later on in my season life, but uh, uh, I didn't quite understand what Bright was telling me about his uh, history. You know, right. As, as a, and uh, a guy that kind of kept his eye on him on the beach side, you know, and be, because uh, Mike, I guess, was better than a decent basketball player, but he was a good volleyball player. Yep. And uh, he liked surfing. So there was a guy called Tommy Zahn. Tommy Zahn was a lifeguard. That, uh, I, and, and, and Mike said this. Uh, Tommy Zahn pulled me up from the lowest part of my life, which was early in his teens. Like the, from the Tommy, bootstraps. Huh? Like from yes. the bootstraps. Yeah, well, he, he called it the... Instead of say bootstraps, he says uh, um, the straps that kind of kept me from the depth of uh, going mm-hmm. the other way, and uh, said so I could become somebody different than his old man. Well, uh, he never made references that that um, you know um, he could be a good paddler because he saw the strength, but but he saw the drive that Mike had, and. Uh, Mike became, started uh, paddling. Now, Mike ended up paddling from Catalina. It was Catalina to Manhattan Beach on a straight paddle. And when he got off and he was done, he and Mike won the uh, Manhattan Beach Open. Jeez. Okay, now that's 26 miles across the sea. He finished that, and I said, Mike, what a great feat. He goes, no, um, the guy that was guiding Tommy Zahn, Tommy Zahn was out ahead, had gone for the stacks in El Segundo. So they landed in an area uh, about two miles from where he should have, or maybe a mile and a half, wherever El Segundo is. 
had gone for the stack, and then the Tommy's on. All of a sudden, looked up and said, "I'm in the wrong place." <laughs> the guy didn't guide him. Uh, I think Vogi gave him directions. I think that might explain yeah. it all. Yeah, he bought some uh, paper maps from Vogi, and uh, Tommy said, "No, you deserve the win." You know, if you have bad information and you're in a contest, that's your fault. Tommy Zahn was uh, was an influence on Mike. I wonder if, how many people know about that story. That's pretty wild. Well, not very many people. Only the paddlers, but they're all dead. Yep. Uh, let me give you a story about Bright going to Hawaii. Uh, he's over there to paddle against uh, George Downey and Wally Force. Legendary <laughs> surfer, big wave surfer. Big wave surfers. And according to Bright, uh, and... They gave him wrong information. They gave him a boat that took him in the wrong direction. A diamond had to turn around. So Bright was ahead. <laughs> Bright ended up second to Downing, and he never forgot that. He, uh, you know, he always said he thought Abel Gomes, uh, a friend of mine, uh, had given Mike Bright the wrong information, or the boat that was guiding him guided him around a buoy that was either one more down or one further out, you know, whatever it was. George Downing ended up winning that. Bright almost beat him. Okay, so so Bright, uh, you know, he, he just probably said under his breath, those fucking Hawaiians. <laughs> 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 and and Vogue would say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> says that. Right. He told me that uh, the other day when I talked to him about cooking, but go ahead. Uh, so... Uh, you know, that was Bright. But that's not the Bright that I knew. Bright was playing for Selzen and a real quick arm swing and uh, worked really hard. And the thing that I associated, I, I wanted to get to know him better was uh, he was a surfer and he, he liked surfing, but he laminated surfboards. Uh, how, how did we meet? 1964, I, uh, I, I wasn't a friend of Bright's. Uh, 1968, we were both right after the same team. Right, and uh, Mike and Patty had made the uh, '64 Olympic team, and up at Echo Summit, Mike was more worried about Patty not making it because Harlan Cohen, his uh, coach, is dead now. Um, uh, there was something about Harlan that was a little bit different. Harlan wasn't looking at Patty, but Patty was kind of undersized. They were taller girls there. I'm not saying that Patty couldn't play, but Patty was. Uh, you know, Mike worried about it. Jeez, Hart uh, is giving her a hard time. And, uh, <laughs> uh, that's why I said, come on, Mike, let's just say, well, what the hell? Is it? When he said that, we're all in a circle. And lo and behold, my right arm just went berserk. Boom, uh, cold cock. Did you knock him down? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so when the uh, pants luck with Coleman and them like, said, what happened? I said, the altitude, he fainted. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and his nose was bleeding. And, and, and this was the same night that we are supposed to be picked for the Olympic team. So there's still 23 guys out there. Yeah. And some, uh, some guys weren't going to make it. So uh, that night, I got reprimanded. People stayed away from me. And there were 11 players picked for the Olympic team. And the other players were to vote for the other player. And the other player was myself. <laughs> and that's how you made the 68 Olympic team? Yep, yep, yep. 
after nailing Mike Bright and knocking him down. Yeah, knock the shit out of him. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know why I lashed out to him. If I'd never touched him, uh, I would have been part of the team that was picked. Okay. But because uh, um, I needed to uh, uh, probably take a class in anger management, <laughs> it would anger me that he wouldn't concentrate on what we were doing and more worry about his wife. Okay, now, so here's what happens. Let me tell you about our Olympic team. You know, Mike Bright was uh, a starter. Rudy Sawara was a starter. Um, Larry Wendell was a starter. For setters, Jack Hen had bad needs, so they'd have to draw blood and do other things. Pete Valesio, route. In other words, uh, he was one in a row. He, he couldn't last, especially in the altitude. Um, who else was there? Dan Patterson. Dan Patterson was a setter passing specialist. Was Lincoln This was up in Lake Tahoe Hall. where you guys did this, right? Yes, up at Echo yes. Lake Tahoe. Um, you had John Stanley, John Alstom, both from BYU, tall players, 6'5", 6'6". Through the center box, it's a wink. Uh, Davenport. And uh, Wayne Davenport, yeah, that's uh, Lindsay Davenport's. Uh, Lindsay's uh, dad, right? And uh, Alstrom and Stanley were both. Uh, all three of those were the middle boxers. So yeah, Smitty Duke was the setter that was going to start. We uh, we called him Wee because he was from uh, uh, Texas and he used to go Wee you know, <laughs> when he called the pigs. So so Wee was going to be the setter, and uh, Jack Hinton got in there and set. But his knees couldn't take it. You know, that's just the way it was. Well, when we got there, because of the way we practiced, I told you about 1964, we went there and we were ill-advised on the type of volleyball that we played. Right. You guys were passing overhand and everyone was passing underhand. They were bumping, correct. And uh, Russian bump pass. Um, so in 1968, we had, we had players that uh, wanted to make the team. Bob Clem... Uh, Ambled his ass off and ran his parents' credit card up by spending his, sneaking out at night and not being there. Uh, the hell, uh, Bill Clemmel, uh, his knees were kind of suspect. So, so we lost uh, another outside hitter, uh, Dennis Dugan. Uh, Dennis Dugan kind of knew he wasn't going to make it. Bill Vineyard uh, was a friend of Jim Coleman, and Jim Coleman told Bill since he's a coach. He was going to be on the team. Oh, and the geez. choice was, choose anybody out of the rest of the people. Who would you pick? So the players picked me. And so when everybody got their uh, notice that they were on the Olympic team, this is what Jim Coleman told me. Butch, uh, you were uh, not my pick because my friend, I had to disappoint him, Jim Vineyard because he's not on the Olympic team. First of all, I don't want you, I, I, I didn't like what you did to Bright uh, the night before last. And because you're on the Olympic team, other players chose you. Uh, but you were not uh, my choice. You weren't my choice. Oh, geez. And because of that, I don't have to play. You can go to the Olympics. That means I don't have to play at all. And so you can imagine what kind of team we had going to. Larry Rundle sprains his ankle. Second match. After you guys uh, beat the Russians. 
after we beat the Russians. He sprained his ankle. Uh, when he hit and, the ball and it was a, a Luigi set and he landed on the... On the... No, he, yeah, he just landed uh, awkwardly. And uh, he was out. He, he was out for the rest of the games. So the two best passes on the team at that time, I think, was Ronald and myself. And uh, so I get ready to go in and he looks at me and says, keep your sweats on, I'm not putting you in. What? I'm putting you in. I told you, I don't have to play you. And so we ended up losing to Czechoslovakia. We had a couple other losses, but uh, when when I went berserk was when, uh, uh, now Mike Wright was the team captain. Tommy Haynes was supposed to be the team captain, but on the floor, Mike Wright was. So mm-hmm. we're playing Poland, and we're out of timeouts, and Bright just walks off the court. And the ref says, if you did not, not get off the court or you don't put in somebody that's able to go in, you will forfeit this match and the rest of the matches. So Brad just kept walking. And um, so Coleman had no choice but to put me in. The first play of the game, uh, Smitty Duke sent me. I went to Dinka Ball because you're not ready, right? You're, you're right, you got to warm up. And uh, one of the best hitters in the world spiked my dink and, and broke my finger. <laughs> Do you remember who that spiker was? Oh, no. If, if I heard his name, I know. Because uh, he looked, there's the sound of a breaking bone. Yeah, I know That's that. That's so familiar, especially with finger. And, he's, <laughs> and, he's, and he said, your finger. I go, what? <laughs> I looked down my fingers, my little finger. My right hand is laying next to my uh, the palm of my hand, and and I I said to myself, no, this is how stupid I am. If I don't look at it, it won't hurt. <laughs> so we get a side out <laughs> on the next play. Um, I go back and I tell Joe, our trainer. I said, Joe, throw me the tape when I uh, go back to serve. And he goes, Why? I said, Just throw me the tape. And he goes, I have to know why. I said, look at my finger. And he goes, oh, my God, your finger's broken. So just throw me the effing tape. So he threw it, and I taped it to my uh, fourth finger. And, uh, and I, every time I'd serve or hit the ball, the right side of my head would light up. You know what I mean? Inside, I go, Yeah, so, like no bull ever did to you, right, folks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eight seconds is a lot easier than that. Yeah, so... So we ended up, uh, we lost the third game. You know, I, I went in when the score was uh, uh, 12-6, or t- uh, I think 12-5. We got back into, I think, 11. Uh, we lost 15-11. And uh, that was the third game. After that, uh, I got to play. But everybody stayed away from me. Okay, because they go like this. This guy's crazy. Well, Jack Hinn was almost out of the picture. because his, his knees kept swelling up. Um, Tommy Haynes made the team and it was on a cake uh, I don't have the picture of it he was called a dinking specialist specialist he, did, he had a dink that was good not against international players I guess Americans you know domestic players you know what I mean well I know what you mean no <laughs> the bad part about it was when Coleman told Tommy says so Tommy I mean Tom told Coleman really behooves me if I make this team. And Jim said, why? <coughs> I'm a bank manager. Jim, if you ever need a loan, you can come to me. I guarantee you'll get a loan. 
whether you want to build a cabin <laughs> somewhere or an extra, uh, another house. And I heard that through these thin walls, and I'm saying to myself, I got to kill somebody. Yeah. You know? Coleman's number one on the list. Well, uh, just Tommy uh, got on the team, and his name was at the top Tom Haynes, Dinking Specialist. And people looked around and said, Dinking Specialist? What the hell's a Dinking Specialist? Nobody just uh, plays volleyball and dinks, especially at the international level. Now, that being said, Tommy worked for my uncle. My uncle was uh, president of the First Hawaiian. And all my uncle could do was uh, give kudos that Tom made the Olympic team. He deserved to go. And I'm listening to this, and I'm saying to myself, you got to be kidding. More, uh, more uh, gas on the fire. Uh, no, and, and I like Tommy. I, I knew Tommy, you know. Um, Except from that time when you were a kid and you uh, snuck in at the uh, yeah. <laughs> the rigger and he crushed the ball off your face. Yep, and there's a rubber band. You know, it's one of those things that uh, I deserved that. I probably deserved a lot more. <laughs> when we played Bulgaria, we're winning, uh, I think, 12. We need three points. 12, 6 or 7. And then he puts Wayne Davenport in to pass. And uh, we, we lose that first game. We had the second game, same thing, uh, 12, uh, you know, 9. And we lose that game because they put Wink in. And Wink couldn't pass uh, a ball. Uh, third game, uh, same thing happens. Now, all we had to do was win one game. And uh, that's when I rushed off the bus and I went to greet Coleman in his room. Yeah, and you guys are on the second floor. We were on the same floor. Uh, Coleman was on the third or fourth floor. Yeah, this is an epic story, so I need to get the uh, accurate um, description. My buddy Earl Koppelman told me about this, but I want to get the actual uh, accurate story on it, so please proceed. Uh, the accurate story is I went up there, and I said, Hi, Jim, can I talk to you? And he goes, sure. And he was looking at me, and I said, You know, we had a chance to beat Bulgaria today. And he goes, Well, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. Not the wrong right answer. answer. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't say anything. So I, I, I bunched my fist, and it was my left fist. And I said, Jim, when I open up my hand, I want you to tell me what's in there. And I open up my hand, and he goes, nothing. I said, that's what you know about coaching. <laughs> that's and, epic. And, and, and I said, you know, we had a chance to do well in this tournament, maybe even make uh, the medal round. In other words, making... And winning one more match might have uh, given us a chance to, even if we got blown up, to fight another day. Yeah. So he goes, well, what are you trying to say? I said, well, I'm going through a divorce. I could have stayed home. And he goes, you should have. Right. And uh, because my friend Jim, Jim Vineyard is home pining over the fact that he didn't make the Olympic team. Oh, I said, well, first of all, he didn't deserve to go. I've never heard that guy's name mentioned by anybody ever. Well, so that should okay. tell us everything we need to know. Well, Jim Vineyard, ask Dan Patterson, ask uh, anybody on the team. Okay, now, so that's when I looked over and said, is that your stuff? He goes, yeah. yeah. I said, oh. <laughs> so you're walking a little further into the hotel room, like towards no. the bed and towards the, no, no, <laughs> towards no. the balcony. Okay. Yeah. And I started, uh, the window was open, I started flipping it up. He goes, what are you doing? That's my stuff. I go, really? And then when he came over to see it fluttering down, that's when I grabbed him and I pushed him. Now, you can imagine, the window, it didn't have 
the type of safety stuff that we have today. It didn't have the top half opening up. It had the bottom half opening. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. So I just said that. And when he looked, I shut And I said, you know, Jim, if I drop you, they're going to think you're pining over the loss to Bulgaria. <laughs> was he hanging over the edge? He was hanging. And I was going to jump him down uh, almost like a laundry chute. <laughs> okay, um, guys that opened up the door, they were banging at the door. And, uh, they didn't. Uh, they didn't. They didn't adhere to the "do not disturb." Butch May about to kick Coach's ass. No, uh, they said, "Please uh, don't do that." So he broke the door open, and they said, "Please do not do that. Uh, you'll never play volleyball in the United States again." I said, "Who gives a shit?" <laughs> you know? So you got. <laughs> So Go Coleman, needless to say, learned a valuable lesson, not to run his mouth and no, not to piss off no, Butch May. No, no way. You know, so um, when that episode was over and uh, things went to, Coleman wanted me shipped out right away. But the assistant coach says... Um, um, Who was the assistant? Oh, God, uh, I'll say it. He was from uh, BYU. Anyway, um, <laughs> he, just, he was a retired Army officer. It was an alcoholic in Japan, and the Mormons on their mission save him. Yeah. In other words, said that you don't have to do this anymore. No restraints or whatever. But uh, he was he was a nice guy and very very straightforward. He had uh, talked to Coleman, saying that um, you know there was some things that happened that shouldn't have happened, and uh, he never said that Coleman was right in the middle of the mix. But let's just say. There was a lot of kindling, and he, he had the matches, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Referro told me all about what you mean. So after that happened, um, he came, the assistant coach came and said, uh, they want to send you home. I said, I'm, I'm fine. I told him not to. Said, why? Because we were halfway through our um, nine matches. And I go, um, okay, so what are we going to do? He says, uh, you still suit up tomorrow. I say with the team, well, the team, it, it was just as if somebody said, Butch has leprosy. Right. <laughs> they all stayed away from me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you try to be a nice guy, and you know nobody's smiling. You get out there to warm up in the court, and Jim would say, there's a room back there. Go warm, warm up by yourself in the room. Oh, jeez. So I, I would walk off the court, and I'd go warm up in, in the room. Gosh. And uh, I, I could hear the cheers and stuff. And and the, finally, somebody said, "You got to come out of the court." You were like That's the bull. You were like the bull then. <laughs> now, now you get to come out now, all amped yeah. up after they threw a few uh, spears through your fucking back. Well, uh, it, it was okay. Uh, the room was my uh, my shock treatment, right? <laughs> so so I did that with uh, three matches. Four matches. I sit in a room by myself. Unreal. He's on the court, and he goes, and he said, just go into that room. After that, I stayed out with him, because Larry was uh, on crutches. He didn't know what to, uh, what kind of assignment, or what kind of uh, roster he was going to put out there. And when we were playing Poland, when Bright walked off, it's bad to forfeit. You yeah, right. I mean? To forfeit for no reason. And uh, after that, I got to stay with the team. But the team still kind of, uh, they, they shunned me, and uh, rightfully so, because they probably heard a secondhand Bush try to uh, damn near kill Coleman. <laughs> when we got back to Los Angeles, you know, after the tournament, after the Olympics was over, 
I, I, I went to apologize to Bright. I really didn't know how to apologize to him. And, uh, you know, for being cold cocking him. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know how to do that either. I, I usually was the one getting cold clocked. <laughs> well, they had a fire in Malibu. And I said, God, Mike Bright lives up there. So I borrowed a bike from Georgine Garvey. That was Gene Brunicardi's daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I rode it all the way to uh, the Kenyon, where they live, in Las Flores. And uh, I rode it all the way there. Now, you can imagine that fire, a fire creates its own uh, draft. So I would be going into winds. It was like almost 60 miles an hour, very hot. And then there'd be nothing because there'd be... Uh, uh, a, a groin of a, a mountain or part of the uh, the topography of Malibu and then it would be okay to pal, uh, pedal and then I hit another groin and you know going and I finally made it up to Bright's place and he looked at me he goes uh, so I said I think you need some help up here now that was that was my way of saying uh, I'm sorry so you drove through a freaking fire to go up well, to Mike was, Bright yeah. and apologize to him. Well, no, that was my way of apologizing. So, so I wasn't afraid to do that. Parts you know? <laughs> of the cars. Uh, so, so we load up his El Camino with a hunky. That was his dog. And all the belongings that were very personal to him and Patty. And Bonnie was uh, born then. And we loaded up. And guess what happens to the fire? It stops right <laughs> where where he lived. Well, Vogie Vogie told me he put it out with. Uh, a, 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 he pissed on it. Yeah, exactly. Or he poured a beer down. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. It stops. So Mike, you know, we get together. He goes, uh, "What do you know for work? I work for the Charnos. Uh, why? What do you need? I need somebody to help me. You know, we kind of got to be buddies." Uh, Found out both our birthdays were uh, in November. But he was a Scorpio too. Yep, he was a Scorpio. Yeah, and we got to talk and stuff, and uh, you know, things went on, and I got to find out a little bit about Bright and how he met Patty, and how Patty just <coughs> brightened up his life, you know. And Mike was a straight shooter. Uh, no red meat this week, you know. He had festivals. He did everything. He ran. Mike and I set uh, when we worked for uh, Rick Surfboards. Um, Which later became Becker, right? It became Becker. Phil okay. Becker had shaped about 80 boards, and we laminated 83 boards, some with two colors on it. <laughs> and, and, and that record has never been broken. Ever. Do you think Hoppy so, Swartz wore uh, the uh, 90254 royalty? Hoppy Swartz wrote a few of those back in the day. Uh, no, Hoppy, uh, Hoppy had his, uh, he wrote maybe Bing boards, or uh, it, it, it could have been somebody else. Okay. But, uh, it wasn't a Becker board. <laughs> or maybe a Jacobs board, you know? Yeah. Um, so so we ended up uh, becoming pretty good friends. Uh, well, I thought we were good friends. Now, Mike read me a passage uh, when we were breaking for lunch, and he was... Uh, he really got into scuba diving. And the passage was, there's a paragraph and a half, and he read it, about people getting bent. So in other words, not paying attention to the amount of air in their tank or being greedy. 
Now, it never made sense to me. Why would you be greedy? Okay, greedy uh, would be would pertain to uh, shooting one more fish, getting one more abalone. Um, if you're diving for uh, salvaging things, staying too late. So you really pretty much had to stay to the script. Uh, in other words, uh, stay true to the script. Yep. If you had uh, six minutes to get from 90 or 120 feet down to the surface, then you better adhere to that. It was only later that uh, he had an accident. Bright and I had never played volleyball together, but he was a good player. You know, we entered the uh, Manan Beach and we ran together after uh, laminating. And we tried to practice on our own. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen Mike play mix with Patty at uh, State Beach. Mm-hmm. And, and it was uh, probably the perfect formula for divorce. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, uh, even though Patty tried, it was, uh, it, if, if the play wasn't good enough, uh, you know, Mike wanted something better. Uh, right. All the mixed players are like that. Remember, a mixed player, if you win, it's because of you. If you lose, it's because of your partner. Well, anyway, we, get, uh, we ended up, uh, we played, and uh, it was one of those tragic tournaments where things are going pretty good, and then all of a sudden, uh, with that little fiasco that we had, the little melee, right, so it's over. And I understood what he said. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, and I apologized to him. And the only way I could apologize was by saying, uh, Mike, I'm awfully sorry. Now, that's the second time I had apologized to uh, Mike. Right. The first time was, uh, you know, apologizing for my uh, cold cock and my towel. The second one was that time. I shouldn't, I, I, I should have let that thing carry on, let other people take care of it. Well, anyway, um, you know, we still ended up pretty good friends. And the best part about it was uh, it wasn't, but a couple of months after the Manhattan Beach opened, they had another fire. And uh, this time I had my own bike. <laughs> <laughs> and I rode all the way up there and uh, walked my bike all the way up the hill. And here Mike was putting, the, you know, his valuables. Uh, did he still have the El Camino or did he have a... He still had the El Camino. And we're all loading the stuff in. And guess what happens? The fire stops. Fire stops. <laughs> and he goes, uh, thanks for the ride. He says, you need to ride home. I said, no, I'll, I'll ride that. Because they had closed the uh, um, Malibu Highway at that time. Because mm-hmm. there were fire trucks and other things. And it was an easier ride back to an area that I was familiar with, which was uh, Sunset Boulevard. Okay. And then you could go into uh, Santa Monica. So, you know, we ended up, uh, we played together for the chart house. And it was okay, except Mike was always grieving about my coming to tournaments sometimes with a bloody nose or a black eye. What happened? I was playing rugby. My God, we're trying to win this. Yeah, I, I was hanging out with the Mattel guy. Yeah. What do you expect? <laughs> he gouged me yeah. in the eye. <laughs> well, I, I kept telling myself, Jesus. Um, getting beat up in rugby made volleyball seem so much easier. <laughs> right. <laughs> you could take a, a Keith Erickson or Ernie Sora of pound yeah. off the face if you didn't get your hands up so so we ended up uh, talking and uh, everybody had new sweats except for me so I, I show up at a tournament and I wore my pajama top and bottom I said what are you doing I said these are my sweats 
and it pissed them off. I, I, I you know, I, I, I just have a habit of rubbing people the wrong way. And she goes, God, you, you're embarrassing us. Uh, uh, embarrassing me. Anyway, <coughs> we played against the Japanese in 1965 at the Poly Pavilion in front of 8,900 people. And Bright was on it, Rudy, uh, let's see. Did Skates arrange that? Uh, well, uh, Skates arranged a match between SC and UCLA, which UCLA won, which is part of the uh, us meeting the Japanese. And uh, so it was, uh, Bob Hogan was still alive. He was a good player before he got in his automobile accident. Oh, uh, when so he uh, joined that, uh, that, yeah, I hear you. Okay, go ahead. So, um, um, you had uh, Rudy was playing, and I was playing so much study. And a guy, uh, Jimmy Montague, was just a little guy, fearless. He'd run under any ball, get it off of his face, and dig. We ended up beating the Japanese that night. And, uh, you know, a lot of people said, You guys are great. <clears throat> Iggy Ignacio, Catalina Ignacio, was the referee. And he made a couple of questionable calls. Like he did in the 74 uh, NCAA championship at uh, <laughs> at the well, gym in no. Santa Barbara. <laughs> yeah, he, he had made some calls against the Japanese. And Bright just turned to me and says, because uh, he's Filipino, he wouldn't even let the Japs win at all. You know, so he kept the match closer. And some of the plays, uh, one ball that might have been hit out, I was touched by the Japanese and they were saying, no, 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 no touch. But the Japanese accepted that. And uh, right, said after, uh, while we were at dinner, uh, we didn't deserve to win that match. But we played great and thrilled 8,900 people. But that was the first time Pauly Pavilion was, was used. So, so we became friends. We played on the Charthouse team. And then, um, you know, uh, Larry Ruddle and I played for the San Francisco Olympic Club after that. And in the meantime, I, I hear that Bright had gotten in an accident, a diving accident, and where he had uh, gone and he was getting lobsters. And on the way up, and, and Bright told me this himself, on the way up he thought about that lobster that was bigger than the one he was bringing up. So he dropped the one from under his armpit and he went back down. He might have been 30, 40 feet away. Unreal. And he uh, opened himself up to get the bends. Right after that became very uh, caustic and very sour. And the only thing I could think about was a paragraph and a half uh, talking about what, how uh, divers get in trouble. Right. You know, and, and I never said anything to Bright. You know, years down the road, uh, I still like Mike. But Mike was uh, confined in his wheelchair. Oh, yeah, here's another thing. Now he's confined in a wheelchair. And they get one more fire. And I ride all the way up there. And we pack stuff. And, and he tells me, don't pack anything. You know what happened to the last two? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It'll the stop. When Butch May comes around, the fires stop. <laughs> yeah. No, the whole place burns. He lost all his uh, momentum. Oh, no. Pictures, everything. And, uh, you know, at, at that time, uh, he became very bitter. 
you know, and uh, I don't blame him. Probably, uh, you know, <coughs> when he lost Patty, and she died, they had a life celebration at the uh, at Pepperdine, and and I said, uh, my, she was uh, a great coach there. She coached uh, and she, uh, coach. she yes. recruited uh, one of my favorites ever, uh, Nancy Cohen. Oh, there. First uh, recruiting class there, and then later on, Linda Chisholm, who was a great player for her, and yeah. Yeah, that I didn't know. I, I just, uh, actually, I saw Nancy and her husband, Dean, t- uh, today at the tournament. Oh. And they said, please come sit with us. Uh, no, I said, uh, I've got a bladder that uh, works, and if I leave, I can't come back. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> anyway. Um, the, the service is being held at this park. You know, they just want to come out. Everybody's going to say something about Patty, etc. And Mike wouldn't come down. So I go up there and I park my car next to Mike. I said, Mike, you need to come down here because you have lots of friends of yours and Patty. They're all waiting for the service to uh, start. Sure. And he goes, I'm not coming down. And I said, okay. Uh, well, what's wrong? He just says, I'm not coming down. So then um, something hit me again, and I said, if you don't come down, I'll pull your fucking ass out your door. <laughs> I'll drag you down. I don't give a shit about you being in a wheelchair. And he went down there reluctantly. And it, it was one of those things. That was the beginning of the end for Mike and I. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Because I said, uh, I'm not going to be around a guy that... Uh, can make fun of people when he drinks and uh, do all these things that uh, and have a good time and all of a sudden be sour and all the times that I've asked Bonnie uh, can I come down and see your dad mm, I'll ask him and it was always a no or yeah. busy and I, and, and I respected that you know because I have a funny way of doing things well, yeah I, I'm learning uh, <laughs> it, it looks like I don't have to send him a Christmas card no I, I just want to say hi I just wanted to say, thanks for being part of my life. You know, he always looked at me and goes like this, uh, I don't know how the hell you made it. I said, well, I probably punched the right people. (laughs) (laughs) And I also hung a few off the balcony in uh, Mexico City, but that's besides the point. And that being said, it's not that I never liked him. I've always liked him. Well, you always call the spade a spade, Butch, is what I'm understanding. Is that fair to well, say? Uh, sometimes I jump to conclusions. But if I had to hold uh, uh, two players that were impressive to a lot of people, especially myself, O'Hara and Bright, I'd choose Bright. Damn. And never, you know, I know what so you mean. I don't even need to call the referral to know what you mean on that one. <laughs> I didn't even call Riff Raff because it didn't have to do anything with hot chicks and Jaspers and tray drinks with uh, Van Wagner. No, it, it, uh, you know, people are going to hear this and they're going to say, that son of a bitch, Bush, what a dick. Uh, no, Bush, you need to call it like it is. It's history. It's not about... Be, yeah, it's not the politically correct world we live in. It's the history of the sport, and you're yeah. calling it like it is. I love it. The yeah, way where the world should be. <laughs> so, uh, you know, even up to Mike's demise, uh, uh, the only time we got together as a group was when they uh, put, uh, put his ashes out near the pier. And 
Hermosa Beach. Erickson came down, Ernie was there. I was there, a few of his friends. Uh, and, and it made me feel good that they uh, said, would you like to go? I said, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but but our separation was uh, when, when Bonnie would uh, I'd say, hey, can I come down and visit your dad? She always said, well, let me ask. And, and the excuses were, uh, no, I don't feel good. I'm hurting today. You know, whatever it was. Sure. And like I said, I, I respected those excuses. But I always uh, flip my fingers. And, uh, you know, whatever. Some people like that. Yeah. Well, Butch, you always stayed true to who you were. Yeah. yeah. From 4F uh, and the uh, eight-second bull rides, you were... Uh, you were who you were, and I, I know that's why referral thinks uh, so highly of you. You just tell it like it is, and that's what the, well, the history I, I, of the sport deserves. Yeah, I, I could never understand, okay, for me, the uh, the rift between O'Hara and Selznick. It was always uh, probably O'Hara. Um, Selznick was a show. He enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, like, we're in the money, baby. Shabba hobbits. <laughs> we're in the money. <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> yeah, once in a while I get lucky and remember stuff. I wish I could have remembered stuff this way in uh, history tests I took in high school and college, but go ahead. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, he was part of my life, and uh, you know, Patty and Bonnie were part of my life. Uh, I, I never got to be as close to... Uh, all three of them, or two of them, you know, in, in the latter years, um, and it was okay. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, you, I'm not going to change uh, my stripes. Uh, just uh, if they don't uh, want me to uh, <coughs> want my company, I'm good. No, you called it like it was. Well, uh, yeah, you know, said like you, you know, hey, uh, that part of my life's over. You know, we move on to new things. Hey, you wrote, you went up there during three fires on a uh, Huffy BMX bike. <laughs> no, was, uh, Did you have a flower basket on the front? Or what? Bike, and the other two times, it was my bike. And um, the first two times, it never burned. And the yeah. next time I went up there, they said, you better abandon this. As I like to say about hands, feet, and a certain other part. Two out of three ain't bad, Butch. <laughs> well, that's what I told Will when he said, uh, Butch, there's a girl over there. Uh, tell her, uh, you know somebody tall, dark, and handsome? I said, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> and he goes, which one? I said, you pick. <laughs> he's tall, he's dark. Handsome? Scared the hell out of you. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is epic. Yeah. He was that. All right, Butch. We'll cut it off there. This is good stuff. I uh, <laughs> I could go on forever, but we need to. Uh, this yeah, is like a uh, hour and I'll seventeen minutes. Kathy Gregory's gonna kill us for how long this okay. went. But you know what? It was epic. It was great stories. <laughs> and I uh, is Jim Coleman still with us? Jim I know Von Hagen went into the Hall of Fame with him. Uh, the international or Holyoke uh, Hall of Fame with them, and they got along finally at the end. But that story, when you uh, put him in his place, I, I love it. Uh, the world needs more people like you. That and uh, uh, I liked you before, but uh, now you're uh, 
I think I might have to put up a shrine of you here in the house, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah, just give me one burning ember, okay? Ash today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> All right, pal. Okay, I'll see you. This wraps up part seven of our interview with Butch. There's still plenty more to come in part eight. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for part eight coming up here in the next week. Thank you.